Hello, everybody, and welcome to the August 6, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, our first story tonight comes to us from Reason Magazine. Iowa governor restores voting rights of tens of thousands of felons. Three months shy of the 2020 presidential election, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed an executive order today restoring voting rights to tens of thousands of Iowans with felony records. Iowa was the last U.S. state with a lifetime voting ban for anyone with a felony record. And by the way, such a ban doesn't even make any sense. The fact is, if you have successfully re-entered into society, you should have control over who governs it. I thought that was the whole point of elections in the first place. If you have reentered in society, you're paying taxes, you have a job that can be subject to regulation, and oh yeah, you still gotta follow these new laws. Yeah, it makes sense that you would therefore be allowed to vote on who governs you. I thought that was the entire concept of consent of the governed. Um, however, we got rid of that and instead just said, no, throw the book at them. And as such, people with felony convictions, despite the fact they've been out of jail for years, were not allowed to vote just because. Because government said so. That is the only reason. That didn't make any sense. And now Iowa is reversing their policy, and that is absolutely amazing. As uh, far as I am concerned. Because the, here's how I view it. Either they can be re-entered into society, in which case they should be allowed to have civil rights, because they're being re-entered into society. Okay? that's the, It's not like they're being in some kind of halfway. I guess they could be on parole, but that's a little bit different. Um... Or, they can't be re-entered society, in which case, why are they not in jail? Why are they not in prison? That's how I view it, at least. And I think that's pretty fair as a way to view it. Anyway, uh, let's see what else we got. Quite simply, when someone serves their sentence and pays the price, our justice system has set their crime. They should have the right to vote restored, automatically plain and simple, Reynolds said. And I completely agree with her. And I completely agree with her. Uh, here's some more quotes. Disenfranchising people with criminal convictions is a vestige of Jim Crow laws. I don't know if I'd quite go that far, but this person is a historian and I'm not. So you know what? I'll let that statement slide. Uh, said Elizabeth Swan Becker, counsel with the Voting Rights and Election Program and... At the Brennan Center for Justice in a statement, as of today, the shameful policy is no place in the United States. By the way, today's the anniversary of the Voting Rights Act being signed into law. And do you guys know that? Because that's pretty cool. So, yeah, this is the right move. This really is. Anything else? While we're delighted that immediately so many Iowans are eligible to register and vote, and it's important that we continue to pursue a more permanent fix to the problem of felon disenfranchisement in our state, the Iowa chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union said in a statement. And by the way, there are tons of Republicans saying that this is a way for Democrats to flip elections, ignoring the fact the person who signed this to the law is a Republican and no other state had lifetime disenfranchisement. 
the one state with it loses it and everybody loses their mind. I mean, they might become like the 49 other states. The fact is, if there are enough people being disenfranchised to flip an election, that is a bigger problem than just we shouldn't let them vote. That has been proven. That proves that the method doesn't work. That's what it proves. And yet we ignore that consistently and instead focus on tough-on-crime measures that have been proven to consistently not really do anything. Broken window policing has not by itself been a massive failure. Okay? It has resulted in people getting locked up for things they didn't deserve to be locked up for. But you know what? It did lower the crime rate. And if that's the only thing you care about, despite the fact almost no Americans will ever be victims of crime either way, then congratulations, a point on a line went down slightly. However, however, when it comes to actually fixing the root cause of crime, the fact is felon disenfranchisement does not do very much, okay? And even if it did, that doesn't make it acceptable in a, just, in a just society. A society that actually believes in justice does not believe in just throwing the book at people. It's one that believes in proportional punishment. And proportional punishment primarily relies on this idea of what was previously done being worth. If somebody steals from another human being, that is wrong and should be punished. It's not you don't get to choose who governs you your entire life worthy crime. Okay? That's not. And again, that's best seen by the fact they were let out of prison in the first place, given every single right except the one at the ballot box. What are they worried about? That they're going to go on a mass shooting at a polling place? I'm seriously wondering. I'm seriously wondering, what's the argument for this? I, I genuinely cannot think of one. Anyway, now let's talk about something stupid. Georgia makes it a hate crime to damage police property. You might remember back in June, I covered a legislation being introduced in the Georgia House that would make it so police officers are a protected class under hate crime law. Well, now it is a hate crime to damage police property. Georgia is raising criminal penalties for people who intimidate or harm a police officer or damage property. House Bill 838 creates a new crime, bias-motivated intimidation, which would apply to the death of serious or serious body injury of a police officer, firefighter, or emergency medical technician, as well as, quote, anytime someone causes more than $500 in damage to property owned by police, firefighters, or emergency medical technicians because of, quote, actual or perceived employment as first responders reports the Associated Press. Now, I want to say, I assume that if this is the case, soon, Indiana will introduce legislation allowing my visit to discriminate police officers. North Carolina will ban them from using the same restrooms as everyone else. They will have their own police officer-only restrooms now. And, for that matter, for that matter, Various states will pass constitutional amendments banning emergency responders from marrying. At least that's what I assume is going to happen if Georgia has, if there's any consistency left in this world. 
There's not going to be, though, because sadly, such a world would actually be kind of interesting and fun to live in. As opposed to right now, where the entire world just kind of sucks. Yay! Ugh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to respond to this. I really don't. This is a dumb idea, and if you support it, you are dumb. Uh, police officers are, for the record, the most oppressed minority. Okay? Historically, they've been lynched. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Uh, that, that's been African-Americans. Historically, their land has been denied, and that's Native Americans. They've been put in internment camps, that's Asian-Americans. Uh, they've been forced to go to conversion therapy, that's, that's homosexuals. Uh, okay, in no way does this make any sense in the slightest, but if you disagree with it, you're engaging in a war on police, okay? It, it, it's a war on police, people. One that was never declared... One that the police seem to continuously be winning, considering they have DHS on their side. It's a war. Much like InfoWars. Nothing about this makes sense, and if you support this, you're stupid. Anyway, uh, here's some more news. This comes to us from Bill McGulgan on Twitter. Breaking, LA Mayor Eric Garcia announces he is authorizing the city to shut off water and power to any house or business that are hosting any parties or unauthorized large gatherings. It will begin Friday night, and the LAPD will respond, then contact DWP to cut it off at Fox LA. The move comes after a massive mansion party took place in Beverly Crest on Monday night. It ended with a shooting that left one woman dead and two others critically injured. Police tell us the party on Mullen Drive was gang-related. The party was not broken up. Wait, why, why not just break it up then? Our anchor, Eric's... Uh, I have no clue how to pronounce that. Asked Mayor Garcita about the legality of this. Garcita said that this was gathering and breaking the law. It, wait a minute! You can't just shut off people's utilities, even if they are breaking the law. The standard is you fine or arrest them. You don't shut off their power. Is this a new standard I wasn't aware of? Hey, why did you cut my power lines? Sorry, you were going 80 in a 60 zone. What kind of sense does that make? Um, but okay, let's, let's continue on. He says the decision is rooted in strong law. Oh, man, Eric Garcia is tough on crime. Uh, doesn't he run a sanctuary city? I'm pretty sure Los Angeles is a sanctuary city. Uh, but don't worry, Eric Garcia is tough on crime, everybody. He is going to shut off your utilities and deny you water and power for public health. Obviously. I mean... Obviously. After consulting with city's attorneys, we know we can do this, he says Fox LA. Okay, so essentially, what he is doing is this is a clear abuse of power. This is a clear abuse of power. And for that matter, it's at the very least unusual punishment, if not cruel and unusual punishment. Uh... Again, if somebody is violating the law, you don't shut off their power. You find them or put them in jail. 
But no, no. He's changing the law now. He's changing the standard now. Again, he runs a sanctuary city. Meaning anyone can wander in, even if they're breaking immigration laws. But once they get in, he's tough on crime, guys. He is tough on crime. And it's one thing. And I understand there are a lot of big city mayors that are that played the tough on crime act, especially back in the nineties. Does Eric Garcia know what decade it is? Um, but at the same time, no, this is utter nonsense, this is unacceptable, and I hope the Supreme Court overturns this. I really do. I hope it gets overturned, because this is utterly evil, far as I'm concerned. You are doing something they not even do in prison, which is deny people of the utilities they paid for, of basic water and power, because they are violating law. Because they are violating the law that you put in place just to control them further. This is people saying we will not be controlled. And you are saying, no, you're going to make sure that I control you. Why? Because if you don't, I'm going to make sure you you um, die of thirst and starvation. Well, thank you. How generous of you, you piece of human shit. Anyway, uh, the Club for Growth has an ad out attacking Joe Biden on the topic of school reopenings. Here it is. When a student falls behind, a good teacher helps them catch up. A bad president would tie their hands, like Joe Biden would. Even with hundreds of public schools closed indefinitely, Biden opposes emergency parental choice grants, preventing parents from choosing options like private tutoring or charter schools if their public school is closed. A lost year is unacceptable, but four under Biden, that's a lost generation. Club for Growth Action is responsible for the content of this advertising. Now, for those who don't know my thoughts on school choice, I support it in the context of other public schools. I do not, however, support it when it comes to it going to private institutions, especially religious institutions, and I have criticized a recent Supreme Court decision that allowed, that forced the state of Montana to do such a thing. Because that is not in any way what school choice is actually about. It's not about forcing someone to pay for religious instruction. If you want that, go to a church or pay for it yourself. I don't care which. Um, however, as it stands, I do think right now, if schools are not reopening, now is a very good time for school choice, considering that there are parents who do want to send their kids back to school, and they should be allowed to do so. Okay, they should. They objectively should be allowed to do so if a school wants to have them. Or for that matter, if they want to go to an online school and they do not feel that the school they are currently, or the district they are currently attending is providing adequate funding, that's the other thing. It could work the other way around as well. A parent could say, well, my kid's school's reopening. I don't want that. I'd rather enroll him in an online school until the pandemic officially ends. And that's perfectly fine. And if a Biden... Now, the thing I don't like is the implication that the Biden administration has control over this. It doesn't. It's the state governments that have 
control over topics like school vouchers. Okay? The fact is, when Republicans say they want to give more state control to schools, that doesn't mean what it actually sounds like it means, because schools are already primarily controlled at the state level. It usually just means removing federal funding from schools. Okay, sorry, but that's typically what ends up happening. But as it stands, I agree with the premise of this ad that even if you are typically against school choice, now is a very good time for it. And so now is, now is. In a situation where students' specific needs need to be accommodated for, then yeah, school choice is quite possibly the best route to go. And if you're a parent listening to this thinking, well, wait a minute, my kid's school doesn't want that. My kid's school is perfectly fine. But wouldn't it be great if every school was like that? That's what school choice would actually allow. It would allow a system where people could actually pick what schools they want to go to. That's it. It's not assigned by your zip code. It's assigned by what you actually want. Of course, there are realistic limitations. No one in California is going to send their child to school in Texas. But still, you guys see my point. The point is that we live in a system where, especially right now, individual needs need to be accounted for. And what do we have? We have a system where they aren't being accounted for. They aren't, and the system is just kind of sitting there expecting us to want them to be accountable when there's no reason for us to want that. Or, sorry, there's wanting us to not want them to be accounted for when there's very much reason to want that. I misspoke there. So, yeah, the Club for Growth is completely right in this ad, as far as I am concerned. Anyway, Joe Biden has a new ad out targeting black Americans, but in a good way. Uh, <laughs> here is the ad. And it, it is, it is, I'll discuss it after. The story of Black America is the story of America. It's the story of a people who have pushed this country to live up to its stated ideals. But Black people have always believed in the promise of a better America. So, at this moment we're in now, we must choose to fight for that better America. And just like our ancestors, who stood up to the violent racists of a generation ago, we will stand up to this president and say, no more. Because America is better than him. So we choose to be bigger. We choose to be bolder. We choose to bring back justice, respect, and dignity to this country. We choose Joe Biden to lead us all towards that American promise together. First off, I just want to say, throughout that entire ad, I was constantly flashing. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Bad wording. I was constantly imagining Joe Biden's 80-year-old white guy face getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as that ad went on. And hearing in detail... How Joe Biden 
understands black America. The same Joe Biden who said in the 70s that he was against desegregated busings. He didn't want schools to become racial jungles. You guys remember that? I remember that. Um, but no, this is hilariously, uh, oh my God. And look, I don't know what black America thinks of this. I don't talk to black America, vague, the vague concept of black America. Uh, <laughs> I will say he does have some goodwill with this community, in part because he's a Democrat, and in part because... Um, he is a, he was vice president for Barack Obama. However, at the same time, I want to state right now that I kind of take issue with uh, the way this ad is framed. You know, it used to be Joe Biden, um, supports uh, black America, and here's how he's going to do it. And it would be like Joe Biden talking, or it would be someone in authoritative voice talking. Now, we got the jazz music in the background. I think that's jazz. I don't know music. Um, that, that's not an insult to black. I, just, I don't know music in general. I don't know white people music either. Uh, <laughs> talking about how black people have overcome and how Joe Biden's going to continue overcoming, because the best way to fight the establishment is by electing Joe Biden, who's been in the establishment since the 1970s. Um, beautiful. It's beautiful, far as I'm concerned. No, it's not. And mind you, Joe Biden has ran good ads about racism before. There was one he released, I forget when it was, I think it was for July 4th, on... The topic of American history and if we've lived up to our values that I thought was absolutely beautiful and I went on here and called it absolutely beautiful and amazing and I loved it. This does not fall into that category. It doesn't. And the main reason it doesn't, truth be told, is because of how indirect it is. The other ad was directly Biden talking to you and saying, hey, I'm not perfect, we're not perfect, but we're going to be better. This one is saying, listen, hello, it is I, black guy, and I am here to tell you that uh, if you elect Joe Biden, racism will end. Wait. How? What, what policy... Is Biden put in place that would actually help black Americans? I'm sure there's some. Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Because if Biden is such a friend towards black people, and this is, by the way, I was encouraging Biden not to apologize for working with segregationists and all that, specifically for this reason. And two, because it creates this kind of logical loophole I was talking is, if Joe Biden is such a fighter for racial equality, why has he had to apologize for being racist 24-7, non-stop, all day, every day? 
for the past several years. Um, for the, at least the past president, at least for the entire presidential campaign. He's had to constantly say, I'm sorry I'm such a racist. Now vote for me and I'll solve racism. Well, wait a minute. And I'm not saying you can't forgive racists. John Lewis um, wrote an entire New York Times op-ed about how he forgave George Wallace. So I'm not saying you, we can't forgive racists. I'm saying if George Wallace turned back around and said, now vote for me for president in 2000 and I'll solve racism. That would be really weird. Like, really weird. <laughs> Am I wrong on that? That sounds pretty weird, all things considered. I mean, just the idea of, well, ladies and gentlemen, ah, George Wallace. I don't know why I'm making George Wallace sound like George W. Bush, by the way. This is all George has sounded the exact same. I'm going to run for president, and when I win, I'll end racism. But wait, George Wallace, haven't you said all this serious racist comments? Yes, and I apologize for that. And this, and I apologize for that. Two hours later, and I apologize for all that. Uh, Mr. Wallace, we're only halfway done with the list. Well, dang it. Now vote for me so I can call racism. Uh... It just strikes me as nonsensical. It strikes me as not the right way to approach a situation like this. Okay, it's not. At least not as far as I'm concerned. By the way, I'm cutting the episode length. I should have mentioned earlier. I'm cutting the episode length by about a third. So we're going to be doing 30-minute episodes instead of 45-minute episodes. Primarily just so I have more time to work on for what it's worth. Subscribe to for what it's worth, by the way. Anyway, that that is all for tonight. I'm Ephraim, and I'm signing out. See you all tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, you may enjoy my book, Ramblings of a Madman, Life as an Anarchist. Or for that matter, if you want to submit to me a story or a column to the bunk or anything, simply send it to peacefulglobalistreview at gmail.com.